Hi again, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Let's keep it moving with Mr. Ernest J. Gaines, A Gathering of Old Men. This is segment 14, and it's called Lou Dimes. It was dark now. She sat on the passenger side, and I was in the other seat beside her. I had tried several times to speak to her, but she refused to answer. Mapes came out of the yard and went by the car without saying anything to us. I watched him go farther down the quarters until he had crossed the railroad tracks. Then I couldn't see him anymore. I looked at Candy, sitting over in the other seat. Maybe you don't know it, I told her. But after tonight, there's going to be a big change in your life. That old man is free of you now. When he pulled your hands off his arm and went into that room, he was setting both of you free. Do you know what I'm saying? He doesn't need you to protect him anymore, Candy. He's an old man, and what little time he's got left, he wants to live it his own way. She just sat there all tight-lipped, staring out into the darkness. Before I leave here tonight, I want a yes or no to where our relationship is going. If I don't get an answer at all, I won't be coming back here anymore. She looked at me now. You bastard, she said. You bastard. That's possible, I said. I wasn't there. But after tonight, she slapped me. It came without warning. I had noticed her face trembling, but I hadn't expected her to hit me. I raised my hand quickly, but I stopped it in midair, and instead of hitting her back, I rubbed the side of my face. Thank you, ma'am, I told her, but I will stick around until Mapes takes him into Bayonne. That's all I need to end my story. Just then, about one of the old men from inside the house came out onto the porch and asked for the sheriff. I heard Aunt Flo saying that the sheriff had gone down the quarters. The old man was standing in the light from inside the room. The light threw his shadow across the porch and out into the yard. Everyone else was in darkness. Y'all still have a couple more minutes, I heard Griffin saying, in case y'all want to sing or pray or something. We're ready now, the old man said. It was Gable. I could tell by his quiet, even voice. Well, you're going to have to wait a while, Griffin said. Don't worry, he won't keep you waiting long. Gable came down the steps. He had his gun with him. Where do you think you going? Griffin asked him. Gable didn't answer him. He came out to the car where Candy and I were sitting. Y'all seen which way Sheriff went? He asked. Down there, I said, nodding toward the field. Wait, I'll get him for you. While I blinked the lights a couple of times, Candy tried to get some information from Gable about what had gone on inside the house. He shook his head and told her that he was supposed to talk only to the sheriff. After blinking the lights again, I saw Mapes walking back. Gable went toward him, and they stood a moment talking and came back together. Come on inside, Mapes said to me. You might as well come along too. He said to Candy, seems like you did all that work for nothing. What happened? I asked, getting out of the car. Let her tell you, Mapes said, jerking his head toward Candy. I did it, Candy said. She had gotten out on the other side. I'll swear to it in court. And Charlie? Mapes asked her. Charlie? I said. Big Charlie? 
That's right, Mapes said. Big Charlie. We went into the yard, Mapes told the women and children. They could come inside, too. He went into the room first, then Candy, then me, and the rest followed. The place was stuffy and crowded. Everything about the place said the occupant was an old man without a woman. Charlie was sitting on the bed when we came in. Even sitting down, he was nearly as tall as some of the old men standing around him. After we came in, he stood up and pressed his shirt tail inside his pants. He was about 6'7". He weighed around 275 pounds. He was jet black with a round cannonball head and his hair cut to the skin. The whites of his eyes were too brown. His lips looked like pieces of liver. His arms bulged inside the sleeves of his denim shirt, and his torso was as round as a barrel. He and Mapes weighed about the same, but Mapes had twice as much belly. He was the quintessence of what you would picture as the super big buck nigger. I'm a man, Sheriff, he said. I'm a man. All right, Mapes said. I believe you. Now, I want some of you folks to go back into the kitchen or out on the porch so we can have some room in here. The people would not move until Mapes started calling their names individually. When they did step back, it was only a couple of inches, and soon they were pressing in closer again. Say, sport, Mapes said to Snookum. How about some more of that ice water? Don't start till I get back, here, Charlie? Snookum said. I'm a man, Sheriff, Charlie said. I want the world to know I'm a man. I'm a man, Miss Candy. I'm a man, Mr. Lou. I want you to write in your paper, I'm a man. I'll write it, Charlie, I said, looking up at him. He was three or four inches taller than I and outweighed me, I'm sure, by at least a hundred pounds. I'm a man, he said. I want the world to know it. I ain't big Charlie nigger boy no more. I'm a man. Y'all hear me? A man come back. Not no nigger boy. A nigger boy run and run and run. But a man come back. I'm a man. Snickum brought the water jug and a glass. Mapes drank two glasses of water and handed the glass back. Thanks, sport, he said. Hand it here, Charlie told Snookum. He took the jug and raised it to his mouth, and he didn't bring it down until it was empty. He handed Snookum the empty jug. I'm a man, sheriff, he said. That's why I come back. I'm a man, Perrine. I'm a man, Perrine. Matthew, standing in the corner by the fireplace, nodded his white head. You want to tell us about it, Charlie? Mapes asked him. I'll tell you about it, Sheriff, Charlie said. He started, then stopped, because something else had suddenly popped in his mind. Sheriff, I'm a man, he said to Mapes. And just like I call you Sheriff, I think I ought to have a handle too, like Mr. Mr. Biggs. Sure, Mapes said, nodding. At this point, anything you say, Mr. Biggs. That goes for the rest of y'all around here, Mapes said to us. He was serious, too. He wasn't winking. He looked back at Charlie. What about Candy? I call her Miss Candy, Charlie said. She can say Mr. Biggs, too. Mapes looked back at Candy, who was standing next to Matthew. When she first came into the room, she hesitated a moment to search for him. Then she pushed her way through the crowd to where he stood by the fireplace. I was too far away to hear her question if she asked one at all, and I did not hear Matthew's answer if he gave one. I only saw a slight nod of his head. Well, Mapes said to Candy. 
She nodded. I don't think she really understood why Mapes had spoken to her. But that did not matter. What did matter was that Matthew was free. She did not care about anything else. Mapes turned back to Charlie. Tell me about it, Mr. Biggs, he said. Start from the beginning, back there in the field. It didn't start back there in the field, Sheriff, Charlie said. It started 50 years ago. No, not 50, more like 44, 45 years ago. Because that was about the first time I run from somebody. I'm 50 now, and I'm sure, and I'm sure I must have run when I was no more than five, because I know Parane was beating me for running when I was six. Because I can remember the first time he beat me for running. You remember the first time you beat me for running, Parane? That time Eddie took my tattoo on my way to school? took my tater on the way to school. Matthew was looking at him as though he was not absolutely sure he was seeing him there. He nodded his head. All my life, all my life, Charlie said, not to mates, not to us, but to himself. That's all I ever done. All my life was run from people, from black, from white, from nigger, from Cajun, both. All my life made me do what they wanted me to do. And bust me if I didn't get it right and bust me if I did it wrong all my life and I took it. I'm 50 now, 50 years of bussing. All my natural born black life, I took the bussing and never hit back. You tried to make me a man, didn't you, Parade? Didn't you? Matthew nodded his head again. It didn't do no good, Charlie said. It took 50 years, half a hundred. And I said, I've been bust enough. He used to bust me, he used to abuse me. No matter if I did twice the work any other man could do, he abused me anyhow. I can pick up more than any man I ever met. Give me a good plate of food and I can work longer than any man I ever met. Pull a straw, swing a axe, stretch wire, cut ditch bank, dig post holes better than any man I ever met. Still, he abused me, cussed me for no cause at all. Nigger this, nigger that, for no cause at all, just to abuse me. And long as I was big Charlie nigger boy, I took it. His voice had been mounting. He had been moving about the room, the people pressing back against one another as he came toward them. He took a quarter of the space with him, whether he went toward the door or the window. He was black as tar. His round head was his round head and face sweating. I saw his round, black, sweaty face twitching, then trembling, and he stopped pacing the floor and raised those two big tree limbs up over his head, and like some overcome preacher behind the pulpit, he cried out, But they comes a day! They comes a day when a man must be a man! They comes a day! The two big tree limbs with the big fists like cannonballs shook toward the ceiling, and we watched in awe, in fear, in case he decided to whirl around or fall. He did neither. He brought his arms down slowly, breathing heavily, while he stared over our heads toward the wall. They comes a day, he said to himself, not to us. They comes a day. And, Mr. Biggs, Mapes said after a respectful moment of silence, Charlie looked at him as if he were coming out of a trance. You said something, Sheriff? What happened out there in the field between you and Bo? Mapes asked him. He cussed me, Charlie said to Mapes. I was doing my work good. Cussed me anyhow. I told him he didn't need to cuss me like that. I told him I was doing my work good. He told me he wouldn't just cuss at me, but he would beat me too. 
I told him, no, I wasn't going to allow that no more because I was 50 years old, half a hundred. He told me if I said one more word, he was going to show me how he treated a half hundred year old nigger. Charlie stopped and looked at Mape, shaking his head. Beads of sweat popped out of his skull, running in lines down the side of his face. You don't talk to a man like that, Sheriff, not when he reach half a hundred. Mapes nodded, agreeing with him. Mapes told the people to give Charlie air. The people moved back an inch, but closed in again. Go on, Mapes said. Then what? I told him I was quitting, Charlie said. I jumped down from the loader. I was coming home. He got down off that tractor and came at me with a stalk of cane. I grabbed me one, too. I don't know why I did it. I never done anything like that in my life before, but I did it today. Bent over and got me a stalk of cane just like he had that made him stop for a second. Then he started grinning at me, grinning, just grinning at me. He knowed I wasn't going to hit him. That's what he thought. And he came on me. He caught me twice, once on the shoulder, once on the side. Then I swung back. I caught him side the head and down he went. I saw his head bleeding and I thought I had killed him and I started running for the quarters. I came here and told Perrine what I had done. While he was standing there talking, I heard the tractor coming up the quarters and I know that I hadn't killed him. But I told Perrine I was going to run anyhow because he was going to beat me now for sure if he caught me. Perrine told me if I run from Bobutan, he was going to beat me himself. He told me he was 82, but he was more man than me. And if I run from Bo, he was going to beat me himself. Charlie looked at Matthew. Matthew nodded, but he wasn't sure that it was Charlie doing this talking. The rest of the people seemed to feel the same way. Charlie? Charlie fight back? I felt that way too, but then I hadn't expected to see all of them here either. He stopped that tractor out there and jumped down with that shotgun. Charlie said to Mates. He kept that shotgun with him all the time on that tractor or in that pickup truck. He kept it all the time. Perrine told me he had a gun there too, and he said he'd rather see me laying there dead than to run from another man when I was 50 years old. Bo was coming in the yard putting a shell in the gun. Perrine reached and got his gun and pushed it in my hand. I didn't want to take the gun, but I could tell Perrine's, but I could tell in Perrine's face if I didn't, he was going to stop Bo himself, and then he was going to stop me too. I took the gun and swung round and I told Bo to stop. I told him more than once to stop. He kept on coming toward the Gary. He knowed I had never done anything like that, never even thought about doing nothing like that. But they comes a day, Sheriff. They comes a day when a man got to stand. I don't know how I did it, but I held that gun steady as a rock. Not a tremble, not a move, steady as a rock. He kept coming toward the Gary, just grinning and grinning. Said, nigger, I was going to have a little fun with you first. Was going to hunt you like a rabbit and, and shoot you when I got tired. But now look like I ain't going to waste my time. He raised his gun and I pulled the trigger. Charlie stopped and lowered his head. We were all stunned. All remained quiet. You could have heard hearts beat in that stuffy room. What happened after that? Mapes asked him a respectful amount after a respectable amount of time. Charlie raised his head to look at Mapes. He was tired. The whites of his eyes had turned reddish brown. He took in a couple of deep breaths and started talking again. I told Perrine I was scared. 
I told him I was going to run and try to reach the north. I told him they was bound to put me in the electric chair now. I told him he had to say he did it because they didn't put people old as him in the electric chair. I told him he was going to die soon and, and he could die in jail as soon as he could die in this old house. I told him he was my parade and he ought to take the blame for me. I told him Candy would protect him no matter what. And while I was there begging him, I seen the dust coming down the quarters. When I seen it was Candy, I handed Perrine the gun and I dug back through the house. I heard Candy screaming. I was laying back there in the weeds in the backyard. I heard her asking Perrine what in the world he had done. I didn't hear Perrine answer her. I laid there flat on the ground praying, praying he didn't say my name. I heard Candy begging him to please tell her what happened. He didn't say a word. I didn't hear him say a word. And I got up and started running. I ran. I, ra I ran. I don't know how long, but no matter where I went, where I turned, I was still on Marshall Place. If I went to Pichot, before I got there, something stopped me. If I turned and went toward Morgan, something stopped me. If I went toward that highway on the back, something stopped me too. Something there stopped me too. Something like a wall, a wall I couldn't see, but it stopped me every time. I fell on the ground and screamed and screamed. I bit in the ground. I got a handful of dirt and stuffed in my mouth, trying to kill myself. Then I just laid there, laid there, laid there. Sometime around sundown, no, just, just for sundown, I heard a voice calling my name. I laid there listening listening, listening, but I didn't hear it no more, but I know that voice was calling me back here. He was breathing heavily. His closely shaven head was covered with beads of sweat. He was exhausted, but there was something in his face that you see in faces of people who have just found religion. It was a look of having been freed of this world. He passed his hand over his sweaty face and head. Then he looked at Matthew. All right, Parade? Matthew nodded his head. He was proud of Charlie, but the rest of us were stunned. I was still trying to figure out if any of this was happening or had happened. I'm ready to go, Sheriff, Charlie said to Mapes. I'm ready to pay. I done dropped a heavy load. Now I know I'm a man. After you, Mr. Biggs, Mapes said and, and nodded toward the door. What's that you called me, Sheriff? Charlie asked him. Mr. Biggs. Mapes said, and with sincerity. Charlie grinned, a great big wide mouth, big teeth grin. It was a deep, all heart, true grin, a grin from a man who had been a boy 50 years. Y'all heard that? He said to the people around him. Y'all heard that, Mr. Biggs? Y'all heard him, huh? Now, y'all go on home. For a bunch of old men, y'all did all right today. Now, go on home. Let a man through. He led the way, with Mapes following. But they had no sooner stepped out onto the porch when a voice in the dark called out, Hand him over, Mapes. That voice was Luke Wills. That'll do it for segment 14 of Ernest J. Gaines' A Gathering of Old Men. Thank you so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. The story is getting good now. <laughs> Until next time, 